92.7 WFNZ, hour number two. KB and Smoke with you, cruising here on a President's Day Monday. I get the sense a lot of you are off work today. Good for you. We are not. We are here. We appreciate you hanging out with us, keeping us company as we work here on a President's Day. Uh, also, the Daytona 500 is about 27 minutes away from getting underway down in Daytona. They rained it out yesterday. Well, the heavens did. Uh, no race yesterday, and it's not. I mean, how is, I mean, what's the radar look like for this afternoon, Smoke? I know uh, it was clear skies. Okay, yeah. so we're going to be okay. We're going to get this race in. Well, both races, because remember, the Xfinity race has been Nine o'clock, right. twice yeah, or, th- or three times, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's almost like the Coke 600 last year, because remember, they were supposed to race on Saturday for the Xfinity race, but then that got postponed. They raced a little bit on Sunday, then it got postponed again. They are going to rain it, uh, race it on Monday morning, then it got postponed again. And I was there until about uh, 1 o'clock on Tuesday morning, the day after the Xfinity race. Oh, yeah, that's true. So, uh, yeah, but uh, honestly, if I don't know if you've seen photos of the crowd. It know, looks great. It looks great for a Monday. I know it's a holiday, but still, you would think it would be a little less. It looks tremendous for a Monday crowd. I was thinking about that this morning. Like, if you're taking off to go to a NASCAR race in this day and age, knowing that there's about an 80% chance that a NASCAR race is going to be at least postponed a little bit for rain the last couple of years, do you take Monday, Tuesday off to guarantee that you get to see the race? For this one, yes. I, I think so, yeah. It depends on the race. If you're if you're missing out on, let's say, Kansas, and, and I actually love their Kansas race, but that's not a it's not a crown jewel. This is Yeah, but if you bought tickets and traveled, that doesn't matter. True. Yeah. True, but like, I mean, this one especially, this is the freaking Daytona 500. Well, right, this one, yes. Yeah, look, if if you bought tickets here, you'd be wise to take off Monday and Tuesday to make sure you get to see the race. Right. And and clearly a lot of folks have because the, the stands down there, the grandstands are full. Now, I, I haven't seen up-close shots yet, but the, uh, you know, the big picture views that we've seen so far is a great crowd at Daytona. The action gets underway in about 26 minutes. We also uh, chat in studio with Hunter Bailey. Charlotte Observer, Charlotte Post. He covers the Charlotte 49ers for the Charlotte Observer, covers the Charlotte Hornets for the Charlotte Post. He's got a couple of gigs. He's in studio. He's stopping by for a couple of minutes here in about 16 minutes. So we'll talk about both. Right now, though, it's the best audio in sports. What did you say? You what? What did you say? Hold up. Wait a minute. Something ain't right. What did I hear you say? What I mean by that is... All right, what you got over there? All right, last week was a massive week to beat Caitlin Clark as she now is the record holder for the most points scored in women's basketball, officially recognized by the NCAA. But Jay Williams pumped the brakes on all this hype, for now at least, as he says she isn't great just yet. I think she is the Stephen Curry of women's college basketball. I think she has changed the dynamics of the way the game is played. I think the way she plays, the pizzazz, is that she's probably the most prolific score the game of basketball has ever seen. Unmatched. I am I am unwilling, and maybe it's more the, the Kobe mentorship around me, to say that she is great yet. I think she is the most prolific score the game has ever seen. I hold great or the levels of immortality or the pantheon to when you win championships. I'm just be that's just me. So Diane Taurasi, when you win three consecutive championships, two-time national player of the year, it has to it has to culminate with the chip. It has to. I mean, Brianna Stewart, if we're talking about GOAT legends of the game, she's won four chips. Four chips, multiple national players of the year. So I'm not saying that she's not at a high, high, high level, but for it to go to the states of immortality, in my opinion, it has to culminate with your team winning a championship. Um I don't know about this one. Is it really outlandish to refer to Caitlin Clark as great in the context of being a college basketball player? I don't think so. I, I'm just <laughs> asking. I, yeah, I, I'm just asking. Like, I, 
I don't think that's an outrageous thing to say. I mean, we are talking about now, now the all-time scoring leader in women's NCAA history. Now, we also acknowledge Lynette Woodward and um, Pearl Moore from Francis Mary. And, you know, those have been acknowledged this week, too. But, I mean, she's the reigning national player of the year on a Final Four banner. I'd say she's probably going to do the same thing again this year. I just don't know. I, I don't know what distinction he's trying to draw there. I don't think there's anything inappropriate about calling Caitlin Clark great for the things that she's accomplished. It's a team sport, but on, on an individual level, to me, she's been undeniably great. What do you think? I mean, undeniably great. If she doesn't win a championship, she doesn't win a championship. Like how many people mentioned that, uh, like for college football, Am I not supposed to call Peyton Manning great because he fell short and never won a natty or even made a national title game? Yeah. Well, TC says, it's Jay Williams' opinion. No need to cancel him. It's his opinion. Who's trying to cancel him? I'm arguing with him. Like, I I don't know that it's it's not outlandish to call the young lady great for what she's accomplished in college basketball. That's silly to me. Anyway, what else you got? Just when you count NC State out, they sneak up and win a key game. As on Saturday, the CW's team got a huge road win against Clemson. As Kevin Keats talked about how massive this win was for the Wolfpack after the game. These games in the ACC have been all, especially for us, really competitive. If you look back at our last couple games, they've been possession games. And I thought that, you know, we had lost focus down the stretch in a couple of them and didn't execute. Um, We did that tonight. We did a great job, um, you know, was able to draw DJ a play up. And, you know, players make plays. He made a big play. I thought Ben did a great job with his Superman wall up at the end where we didn't get a foul. Uh, But, you know, just grit. It was a grit win for our group you know uh, this is a tight race when you look at it as a bunch of teams around seven eight wins and you know anytime you can get a road win it's um golden and we beat a good clemson team on their home floor yeah they, they did they, they beat a pretty good clemson team on their home floor uh clemson clemson fans are kind of used to this at this point if i'm being honest with you uh the the, the automatic refrain is uh brad brownell here we go <laughs> <laughs> you see you see it on the text line brad, I do too. I mean, every time it's Brad Brown. Oh, here we go. State's eight and six, by the way, in conference now. It's a big win for them. It's a quad one win for them. It's a big win for them. Uh, they they got eleven and nine from Muhammad Diara to go. You know, to help in this as a, in a supporting role behind twenty seven from DJ Horn and you know fifteen from DJ Burns, who was actually pretty efficient, all things considered. And they got a dozen off the bench from Taylor. Um, that was in some ways an ideal performance for them. So. You know, I, NC State making the tournament guarantees that Keats sees another year. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Are we sure that Keats wants to come back based on some of the murmurings? I don't think so. I don't think State wants him back, but I still think it's a long shot they make the tournament at this point. Yeah. I, good win for State. Really good win. What else you got? As we mentioned earlier, legendary basketball coach Lefty Drizel passed away over the weekend at 92 years old, and he left a massive legacy behind in the sport. And former Davidson head coach Bob McKillop talked to the fine folks of Queen City News to discuss how he will remember the legendary head coach. He consistently had a presence, whether it was uh, attending NCAA tournament games as a fan and spectator, as he did. Or was it a phone call or a conversation that we have at an event in which we both uh, were participants, knowing uh, th- that uh, 
he and I were attached because of the Davidson experience, he always made that a very special feeling for me. Nine seasons at Davidson, by the way. In nine seasons at Davidson, Lefty was 176 and 65. That was his record, 176 and 65. Five regular season titles, three SOCON tournament titles, and two Elite Eight appearances back-to-back years in 68 and 69. Four, four-time SOCON Coach of the Year. Uh, his teams were ranked in the top 10 four times, including his highest number two in 1969. And he's remembered so much for the work that he did at Maryland. But college basketball fans know what Lefty Drizel did at, at Davidson. What he did at Davidson not only propelled his career and you know laid the foundation for future Davidson success, but it was legendary. Legendary. College basketball lost a giant. Rest in peace to Lefty. What else you got? It's been a while since we've checked in on Rick Pitino at St. John's, and yesterday St. John's fell to Seton Hall, putting a big dent into their fleeting tournament hopes. And after the game, Rick seemed just a little bit upset at his team. I think they're unathletic. I don't think they move well laterally. I don't think they're going to pick it up in the next week. Um, I think they're slow laterally. I mean, Sean Conway gives you everything he can. He's slow laterally. About five guys are slow laterally. Even even the Celtics when we lost, I've enjoyed every minute being a Boston Celtic coach. Didn't like the fact that we lost in that following year, but this has been the most unenjoyable experience I've had since I've been coaching. Do you have any second thoughts of taking this job? No, not at all. It's not St. John's. It's my team. I think they're very respectful. They hear, but they don't listen. It's taken me a month to get them to throw bounce passes. Actually, two months to throw bounce passes. Just thinking of getting ready for Georgetown because Georgetown could definitely beat us. I'm not even thinking of the future at all. I'm just thinking of the next game and the next game and the next game and that's it. uh, Just try to get as many wins as you possibly can and represent St. John's in the best fashion you can. (laughs) I mean, let's hit the checklist there. Uh, He lamented St. John's crappy facilities. Use a different word. Starts with an S. Um, talked about his team's lack of toughness, lack of athleticisms, athleticism, pardon me, uh, suggested that his assistants had flunked him by failing to import players whose talents were, you know, the right match for his system, called out specific players as slow and unathletic. I, I mean, I don't think anybody up there was expecting miracles this year, maybe just some reasons to care about St. John's basketball again, but his team is unwatchable. I don't think he escapes any, you know, responsibility for that but wow i mean it doesn't get more honest than that but you'd have to th- how many dudes are hitting the transfer portal after that all of them all of them probably <laughs> all of them like this whole team does the whole team go to the portal after that rant on Saturday? they probably do what else you got all right well <laughs> we end with the mlb as the a's relocation to las vegas uh the plans at least are a cluster bleep so much so that on Friday's edition of Pardon the Interruption, Jeff Passan, who joined the guys, took a blowtorch to the A's organization. Everybody sort of thought it was a done deal that the A's were going to move from Oakland to Las Vegas. Are there now any doubts about this among other owners? Yeah, Tony, there are doubts everywhere about the A's because here's the one thing that they have proven themselves adept at. 
being completely incompetent. You know, I was talking with somebody <laughs> yesterday uh, doing a story on expansion, and, you know, the, the A's came up because the A's need to be in place in Las Vegas in order for MLB to expand two more teams, which is looking like it's going to be 2030 or so. But, uh, you know, this person who's been dealing with the A's is like, do they do they know what they're doing? Like, is is this a joke? <laughs> the whole process has been messed up from the start. You know, dating back 20 years to them trying to get a stadium in Oakland, failing to do so, and now they're going to go to Vegas, and all of a sudden it's going to be smooth sailing in a city that really hasn't shown a lot of desire to have you. Uh, the entire thing from the beginning, Tony, has been a disaster, and if this thing fell apart, it would surprise absolutely nobody. I, I really hope it does. I, honestly, I do. And I don't know if that makes me a bad person, but I am rooting for utter chaos here. I hope the whole deal falls apart and the A's end up playing in Sacramento for a year. <laughs> and then they got then they got to go back to, to Oakland, hat in hand. Like I, This is what I want to see happen. I want the whole thing to fall apart because it would be hilarious. That's what did you say? The best audio in the world of sports. We talk Hornets and 49ers with Hunter Bailey next. Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Join Weston Walker on Tuesday. Which Panthers rookie outside of Bryce Young will take the biggest jump in 2024 on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ? Radio 92.7 WFNZ. KB and Smoke with you here on a Daytona Monday. They're gonna they're gonna fire this race up here in about eight minutes uh, down in Daytona. Rain kept them from racing yesterday, but uh, the green flag drops at 4:30 today, and the Xfinity race at nine o'clock tonight. If you're into that sort of thing, somebody earlier said, "Hey KB, I missed your dad segment on Friday. Still time to get the uh, the bets in here. Um, you know who'd your dad pick? He went what? Smoke Michael McDowell and Ryan Blaney won two, right? I think it's what it was. Yes, and okay. my pick was Brad Keselowski. That's right, it was. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you went Keselowski. How are you feeling about that pick today? Uh, I'm feeling really good because last time the race got officially moved out to Monday without a single lap being completed was 2012. That was when the jet dryer exploded. There's a jet dryer problem today. And uh, who won that race? A Ford started on the front row, and guess who won that race? Matt Kenseth, who drove for Roush. Mm. So I got a, I, my chances of either being a Brad Keselowski or Chris Buescher, you feel pretty good if you're a Rouseketeer. A Rouseketeer, really? You've that, never is heard that, that saying? I don't think I have. How does that escape me all these years? It's been around for a while. A Rouseketeer, that's phenomenal. God, that's good. All right, uh, we, we debut a new segment here on the show. We are calling it uh, Bailey and Bailey, Justice Served, Peace Perverse, <laughs> Preserved, Legal Excellence. It's Bailey and Bailey, KB and Hunter Bailey of the Charlotte Post and the Charlotte Observer. Covers the Hornets for the Post, the 49ers for the Observer. I believe I got that right. Hunter Bailey, how you been, man? Doing good, man. Appreciate y'all having me. Yeah, it's good to have you in studio. Um, you're making me nervous now. You don't like to sit when you do radio? Hey, man, I'm, <laughs> I'm multidimensional, man. You I can do whatever sweet, you need. You got a sweet Dale Jr. Dale Jr. t-shirt on today. You know it, man. It's 500, so you said eight minutes from now. Got to, I mean, obviously retired, but still got to wrap my favorite, you know. Heck yeah, man. So you're a Dale Jr. guy, like lifelong. Definitely. Good for you. Good for you. Well, it's good to have you back. Did you watch the All-Star game last night? I did, man. Uh, it was a tough watch, but uh, you, you kind of got to get through it now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess if the only thing you care about is points, you, you nearly got 400 of them, right? Hey, man, I mean, Dame Lillard, 39, gets the MVP. Cat on the other team taking 30-plus shots, 50 points, so a ton going on there. 35 shots to get 50? 
Uh, not exactly the most efficient night, is it? No, nah, not at all. All right. Well, um, so do, I mean, could you think they can fix it, by the way? Because I, I came in here, and I'm going to own it. Like, I came in here, old man shaking his fist at the clouds. I'm 38 years old. I grew up on this game. I love it, but I find it to be absolutely unwatchable now. And I'd rather spend my weekend watching Love is Blind on Netflix. And you would have never caught me dead saying that sentence out loud <laughs> 10 years ago. But that's how I spent my weekend. I just, I don't think it's worth the time anymore. Right? Do you think it can be fixed? Or with guys like Anthony Edwards saying, hey, we're just not going to compete at this thing. Do they need to scrap it at some point? I really like the Elam ending that they had a few years ago. I think the 2020 All-Star game was probably the most fun it's going to get. I mean, you can't... If if y'all give us 24 points, give the fans 24 points, a quarter of good hoops, maybe even half that, I think people will be pleased. You can watch Love is Blind for the first half because you don't got to worry about uh, Luka and Jokic going back and forth. And then at the end of the game... Give us 10 minutes of real game between the best players on the planet, and let's see how it shakes out, because I think the fans deserve that. I, well, yeah, I agree with you. The, the Elam ending I thought was really exciting. Like The, the first All-Star game without Kobe Bryant was obviously different. Uh, the Elam ending, I think, gave some people hope that it could be better moving forward, but they even kind of lost interest in that, too. They, they lost interest the very next year, so... Who knows if they can get it fixed, but uh, I know I'm ready for Hornets basketball to return. And uh, you know, you you cover this team on a full time basis. What do you think of this team post NBA All Star or, or deadline? That is, what what do you think we've watched since that deadline? I think the defensive efficiency has been worlds better, and it kind of talks. I mean, Steve Clifford came right out and said, like, that's why I was brought here. I'm a defensive minded coach. I've failed on this aspect. And pre pre trade deadline, he had. I mean, they're 29th, 30th in the league in defensive defensive efficiency. With a defensive-minded head coach, offensive isn't much better. Obviously, you're missing LaMelo, Mark Williams. But post-deadline, they're third in the league. They're obviously 3-0 and in that stretch. And they're actually playing like a real team. They, I mean, if you're not starting guys like Bryce McGowan, Leaky Black, you can let them come off the bench or let them get development in the G League. Start NBA-caliber players that are really here to make a difference. I think, I mean, the trades were huge, man. You really took Gordon Hayward, which was a zero on the court for the past month since the day after Christmas and turn them into three players who are all contributing and picks. So, I mean, you talk about just simple things like that. They have rotation now. They have a real bench. Massive win. I mean, the deadline that day. Right? Might have been Mitch Kupchak's best work since he got here, yeah? I, I mean, I don't, I, don't, I don't think it's rivaled. It's not I, I don't think so either. And look, what they've done here is they've refocused, reorganized around what they believe is the core of this team, right? Um, part of that core is LaMelo Ball. And it's been real. I don't know how much you get to listen to the show or how much of this you see online or in your mentions, but... All of a sudden, since the emergence of Brandon Miller and, of course, the ongoing ankle issues for LaMelo, I'm getting far more than I ever expected of. Yeah, we might want to trade LaMelo while we still can at 22 years old. And, And look, everybody's got their own opinions. I understand why some people are concerned about injuries. And it's mostly, as people put it, they don't like his mindset. Like they, they don't know that he's about winning as much as they would like for him to be. What is your perception on you know his place in the hierarchy? Is this Brandon Miller's team? Is that what we're watching right now? What do you think of LaMelo? I think LaMelo, all right, so he's making $11 million this year, right at $11 million. Next yep. year, his extension kicks in. He's going to be making $35 million plus, taking 25% of the cap. So that's going to be the first year where it's really like, we need your production to match. I mean, this is a fourth of the cap. Obviously, fans are missing LaMelo. He's only played 22 games, 11 home games. So young fans in Charlotte aren't getting to see your star player on a nightly basis. They are getting to see Brennan Miller, and I think that's why the discourse is kind of changing to this is Brandon Miller's team because he's consistently available and he's progressing every game. I mean, he's even got LeBron James talking about how far his game has come between yeah. Christmas and now. I mean, you love to hear that about a budding star. The thing that I don't think people understand is you you need more than one to win anything. And you're talking about the NBA's longest playoff drought, 
2016 being the last time purple shirt dude standing up and ruin it for the city. And now here we are in 2024 and you're worried about having too many stars. I mean, LaMelo obviously has the ball in his hand, high usage rate, but Brandon Miller's a great shooter and guess who's going to get him open. Yeah. That's LaMelo I mean, wanted to play with him. Absolutely. And all they right. do is compliment each other. They ask Brandon Miller, Brandon Miller at all-star, if you could be trapped on the Island with one teammate, who would it be? He said LaMelo. I don't know if he's just saying that, but I mean, like clearly they have some kind of relationship off the court that fans want to see Bud on the court as well between the white lines. Speaking, and we got Hunter Bailey, Charlotte Post, Charlotte Observer, covers the Hornets and the 49ers. He's in studio with us here on a Monday. Um, It's funny you say that because I think, you know, fans do need to see them together. And you you mentioned the relationship, the budding relationship. Well, Airbnb has been a thing for a minute, right? What are they doing with Miles Bridges? I, I did a Hornets podcast earlier today. Admittedly, I got asked this question, and even I hedged a little bit because I'm not entirely sure what they're going to do about Bridges. He's here for the here and now, but what do you think happens in the next six months? Definitely. I mean, they considered trading him because the fear of losing him this summer for nothing. So that's why, I mean, people saw the trade rumors on Twitter. Obviously, his agent is Rich Paul. There was some pushback there because the Hornets can pay him more than any team uh, yeah. with the qualifying offer expiring. So if the Hornets want to keep him in Charlotte, they can keep him in Charlotte and they'll be able to match whatever is offered out there. I think you keep him, man. He's kind of a tweener in, in that three and four spot. He's maybe a little too short to guard some fours, but he gives you, I mean, great production. He's been almost automatic for mid range this year. And that's something in their game that they've been needing. I mean, without LaMelo, they're having to create their own offense. There's not as many assists, or I guess before the all-star break, we've seen what Meech is doing. Oh yeah. And Trey Mann. They had 27 assists on 44 made buckets the other night. Unbelievable. Yeah. And that's, I mean, their average on the season is, I think, 24 games. So they're up from that all three games. But Miles has had to create his own shots because he hasn't had that LaMelo lob threat. He hasn't had someone getting double teamed. I mean, the only player I've seen get double teamed lately for them is Brandon Miller at the end of the Lakers game because he's going insane. Yeah. <laughs> and imagine like a full offense with these guys and getting comfortable having a summer of training and just being able to stay on the court. I mean, I feel like all we've done for years with this team is the what ifs, but you're kind of right back to that. What if Mark Williams can come back and play? What if LaMelo can stay on the court? But I mean, the most reliable and available have been Miles Bridges and Brandon Miller. So I don't see how you could move on from either of those guys. I, I think that's where this is headed. I really do. Mark Williams, the back injury. How much does that concern you? It concerns me quite a bit. Uh, hearing what Mitch Kupchak said, uh, at the post-deadline trade presser, I mean, he just stressed repeatedly that this is not career-ending, but he did suffer a setback. The next next time they'll even reevaluate him was in four weeks. I, I don't necessarily expect to see him again this year. I hope that he can get back out on the court, but if it's as much of a setback as he made it sound, I think you might as well keep him sidelined, bring him back for that for that junior season in the league, and hope that he can play a full year. Because I mean, I think he only played 40 plus games last year as well. Uh, you, you mentioned uh, Le- LeBron there a second ago. For those who don't know, you you talked to LeBron James. Um, when they, no, you did. You talked to LeBron, a shoot-around, uh, when they were in town to face the Hornets, what was that, two weeks ago? Mm-hmm. And he gave you those quotes on Brandon Miller. In terms of, like, I, I don't want to talk about, you know, what he can be because everybody goes right back to the Paul George comp, and, I, and we all understand why. I, I guess what people want to know is, when you say this is becoming his team, is there any weakness that you think needs to be addressed here for him to become that? Because in every other way, it seems like he's starting to really blossom. Is he weak anywhere right now? What, what do you think? He's got to control fouling early in the game. He's right. still with a lot of foul trouble this year. Picks up two in the first. Can't play as much in the second quarter. And then he's dealing with it some late in games, which is thrown off that rhythm. I think as he gets his feel for the league, I mean, we're talking about a guy that still hasn't played 60 games in the NBA yet. 
he's got to figure that out, and I think he's got to put some weight on in the offseason to, I guess, bulk up on the defensive side because they're really going to rely on him at the three. I mean, Garden, 6'10", 6'11", guys. I mean, you think 6'9", wing that can shoot 40% from three, you feel good about what he's going to be able to do, and he's getting a lot of reps. Braun talked about it. He's a primary focus in this offense right now because there is no LaMelo. I mean, we've had a lot of nights this year where it's Cody Martin playing the one and late in the game, you're deferring to Brandon because you know he's going to get you that bucket when it matters. And I think that's this experience now is really what's going to pay off. But figuring out the foul trouble, put some weight on this offseason. And you mentioned Paul George. Get in, get in the lab with Paul George. Go work out with him, a lot of these NBA trainers, and watch that next step. I think he has a huge sophomore year upcoming. I love it. All right, uh, let's pivot here. we got uh, Hunter Bailey with us. He covers the Hornets for the Charlotte Post. He covers the Charlotte 49ers. For the Charlotte Observer, Tim says, does Hunter think that Charlotte AD Mike Hill says a thank you to God every night that Ron Sanchez decided to quit the job last summer? Um, look, Aaron Fern has been abso- such a breath of fresh air, so good for the program, so awesome to to watch. Um, your thoughts real quick on the removing of the interim tag and when they any, any thoughts on doing it now, the decision when it came down? What do you think? Well, Aaron told me it was a distraction, right? It's middle middle of the season. He was happy it was done, but it was a distraction. They got it out of the way. I mean, they've won three games in a row, two since since the tag was dropped. But when it happened, he was like, obviously, I'm happy to be the head coach of this team. He said, I don't show it necessarily emotionally, but this is where I want to be. That's why he signed through 2029. And, I mean, dropping the tag is huge for him. He gets a pay boost. His players get some stability. Any recruiting, like, this is his team now. I talked to him. Interim tag is like dating. Because yeah. it can end at any time. Now he's married. He's married to the job. What is he going to do with it? What changes for him? And that's what he talked about. Recruiting, putting his mark on the program, and just keeping or continuing to build. Because, I mean, he's been here as, as an assistant for quite a while. Uh, well, he, so that's I didn't know what to expect. I don't think anybody knew what to expect. from like, what, Did you have any expectations for Aaron Fern when they, when they promoted him to interim head coach? I heard a lot of good about him, especially conversations with Mike Hill, talking to Dusty May, Florida Atlantic's head coach, some other coaches around the American. But I did not expect this. I'm not going to lie to you guys. You lose your top two scorers, top two rebounders yep. to the portal, and you're looking across the team like, all right, who's the guy? It's going to be Lakai Patterson, maybe. I, I feel like the, the wild card in this is Igor Milicic just jumping right into this kind of focal wing guy for them. I mean, he's blocking shots at the rim. He's getting Sports Center top 10 slams shooting nearly 50, 40, 90 from the field. His progression is what really has made this team what I what I did not expect them to do. I loved his quote on Saturday about how European guys don't worry about getting dunked on. We right? do not care. Yeah. <laughs> he said, we don't care. We, you know, they're there to defend the rim. They don't care about getting – it's a cultural thing. It's a cultural difference, right? Yeah. Um, so they, that was a tough loss to USF on Saturday. They trail USF by a game now in, in the American standings. But, I mean, this is – how many bids do you think the AAC ends up with? What do you think? Two. Two. All right. So we think Charlotte could be in line for an automatic berth at this point right now, yeah? Could be. It's going to be a stretch. They had okay. a couple of tough losses, one to Stetson early in the year. That's kind of the blemish right now. Yep. But, I mean, they have room to make up, especially in this tournament, man, because the first day that they play in this tournament, that thing is going to be loaded. Top six seeds are all really good teams. Yeah, they are. I was watching SMU on Saturday. I mean, it's a good basketball team. Oh, they're team. crazy, man. They're a really good basketball team. Uh, future ACC. Uh, SMU Mustangs, that is. Who, who's been the unsung hero of this Charlotte team so far this year? Deshaun Jackson. Okay. Washington State transfer, 6'11 guy, protects the rim and gives them a mismatch inside almost every night out. I think that's really going to be tested Wednesday night at Memphis. They've got a lot of athletic guys, a lot of bigs, but they don't really have a reserve big that is 
playable for long long stretches of time right now. They only play eight guys. None of them are backup center. They play a power forward at the five sometimes. They move Igor there, but he's been invaluable to this team, especially losing Ali Khalifa, who had been the guy here for the past two years. So he's unsung hero. He's really got the guys bought in for sure. Have you watched Love is Blind Charlotte Edition season six? I haven't, man. I, do I need to lock in? Listen, bro. I'm taking some heat today because I, I've been anti-dating reality show my entire life. Can't do it. Wouldn't do it. Like, just reality shows in general. I am enthralled. <laughs> I, like, I'm going to get in my in my truck and I'm going to drive home, put my kids to bed, and me and my wife are going to keep watching Love is Blind tonight. And I never thought that I would say that. So the new season came out the 14th, right? Valentine's Day? That's yeah. That's what I was told. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, based, it's all Charlotte contestants. Okay. Right. So it, it is um, worth the time. I got to be honest with you. Now, may, maybe others have seen previous seasons and they don't, you know, they're not as enthralled as I am because they know how it works. My first introduction to the show was the Charlotte season. So I'm all in. Okay. I'm all in. You got to check it out. All right. Hunter Bailey, good to see you, man. Absolutely, guys. Appreciate y'all having me. Of course, man. He's got these rocking the old, you know, Budweiser, Dale Jewett. That's a beautiful shirt. Where'd you, did you get that at Myrtle Beach? Where'd you get that? <laughs> nah, one of the uh, vintage markets in South End. Yeah. <laughs> good to hey. see you, buddy. Good to see you. Uh, let's go to smoke on the headlines. All right, I want to let everyone know that this report is brought to you by the North Carolina Department of Health and Human Services. NC Medicaid is for people like you, full health care coverage at low or no cost. Doctors visits, emergency rooms, and prescriptions. See if you qualify at medicaid.nc.gov. Kyle, it was a big weekend for the NHL as the stadium series took place at MetLife over the weekend. Last year, it was in Raleigh. And they had two games on the weekend. First was the Devils versus the Flyers. That drew 70,328 fans. And 18 hours later, mm-hmm. the Rangers-Islanders game drew 79,690 fans, the third largest crowd in NHL history. Hmm. I'm just thinking. It reminded me, to, it was an awesome weekend for hockey. I, I caught a couple of minutes of both, but... I was just thinking, what is Major League Baseball doing this year for their, their version of this, the Field of Dreams game, right? It, would you I don't call think it they the, are doing it this year. Uh, yeah, they are. They are? Yeah. Giants and Cardinals. Okay. Yeah, Giants, Giants and Cardinals, I think. Yeah, June 20th, 2024, Giants and Cardinals. Okay. So that, that's coming up this summer. What else you got? All right, moving on to the world of football. Forgot to mention this last week. I wanted to give this uh, some headlines here. The UFL. Uh, your favorite league, the spring league, the USFL and XFL have merged. It's now the UFL. They have brought in a new quarterback. Birmingham Stallions now have a quarterback named Matt Corral. It is that Matt Corral. So luckily we see that Matt Corral has landed on his feet somewhere. Are you saying that a man that Scott Fitterer traded up for with a great deal of conviction was out of the league within a year and is now starting for a or, no, I don't even know if it's starting for for a UFL team. I want to mention Matt Rule is also a big fan, even though he'll tell you not anymore. Okay, just checking. All that, right, good and, for him. And finally, uh, in utter uh, obscure Panthers news and notes, the Patriots have released their official coaching staff under Gerard Mayo now, and the assistant wide receivers coach, Tyquan Underwood. Hair up, son. He's still got the. Uh, Still got the hair too. Oh, <laughs> what you want? You want? Oh, we got a wreck in the race. Yeah, we. That we was got, what, that was what the ooh. Who wrecked? Uh, looks like multiple Harrison Burton, Carson. Ho- oh, yeah, Harrison's done. Oh yeah. Yeah, hate to see that for Harrison, Charlotte guy. It's a busted up rig right there. Harrison Burton and who else? What we got? Uh, look, Carson Hosevar right there. I think he'll be able to get out once they move them out of the grass. I think I saw Ryan Priest get involved. Luckily, was not as bad as his last wreck at Daytona, which was seeing him flip ten times. But I don't know if he had any damage. But it looks like, oh, well, yeah, that's some pretty big damage to Brian Priest, it looks like. 
That's the car equivalent of a... Uh, well, I'm not going to say it. Never mind. All right, we're going to come back. We're going <laughs> to wrap up the hour. Joe Ovius in 20 minutes talking ACC Hoops. Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. This is Nick Richards of the Charlotte Hornets. You're listening to Kyle Billy on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ, the exclusive home of the Charlotte sports fan. 22 ticks on the clock. Below. Good protection. Throws in the end zone. Touchdown! Ricky Pro! It's going to be a drag race. Wow. They touch, they touch. Performers, big time achievers, we call it Who Balled Out. It's powered by High Performance Real Estate Advisors and the biggest baller of them all, Thomas Elrod. Go to highperformancerealestate.com and they'll see you at the closing table. Smoke, what you got over there? Well, college baseball started this weekend and it started with a bang for the ECU Pirates and more specifically, Parker Bird. He had his leg amputated after a boating accident in 2022 and on Saturday, he just became the first person to play in a D1 baseball game with a prosthetic leg. It's pretty incredible, huh? Yeah. Uh, I I saw the video. Pretty incredible stuff. Uh, I'm going to go with Carolina big man Armando Baycott. He was instrumental in leading the Tar Heels past my Hokies on Saturday, but Armando was tremendous. 25 points in the game. Now, the Hokies would eventually start to to double Armando Baycott a little bit, but it didn't seem to bother him very much. The offense ran through him as it should, I think, in Carolina, and it, it worked to their advantage again on Sunday at the Dean Dome. They beat the Hokies 96-81 in a game that uh, never felt like Carolina was ever in any real danger, but they couldn't also quite pull away from Virginia Tech. Armando Baycott was really, really good. Interesting in this game, too, by the way, Carolina's bench, or I'll put it this way, Virginia Tech's bench outscored Carolina's bench 31-15. But Carolina still played, and I saw Adam Lucas talking about this on Twitter, I think it was Twitter after the game, a a very you know well-balanced game. Um, Elliot Cadeau made some big plays. Jalen Withers made some plays off the bench. Jalen Washington scored seven points. Uh, how about Cormac, Cormac Ryan, by the way? They need him to shoot the basketball well. He was six for 14 from three in Carolina's last two games. And he scored 16 points on four of seven from at, from deep. They're just better when he's shooting the ball well. And he shot the ball well on Saturday, but Armando Baycott balling out. A good win, a needed win for the Heels and uh, the Hokies. Well, they really needed that one, too, but it didn't go their way. Mike Young's team entered as the second-best three-point shooting team in the ACC. And Carolina's perimeter defense, much better. Much, much better. They held the Hokies to 7 of 26. Uh, They really put the clamps on Sean Padula, one of the better scorers in the conference, to 3 of 13 from the field. Carolina's defense also getting it done. We'll talk about that with Joe Ovius coming up in 12 minutes, among other things. But real quick, Smoke. We've had, what, a wreck so far in the day? Catch the folks up on the Daytona 500 who are out there driving home. All right, so we're now 10 laps in, but the last four have been under caution. It looked like it was a bad push on lap six from Brad Keselowski that made contact into John Hunter Nemechek, and it then resulted in more people getting wrecked. Harrison Burton took the brunt of it. Also, Carson Hosevar had a good bit of damage. Unfortunately, the cars went back up onto the track. Could have been a whole lot worse, but Jimmy Johnson was involved and uh, doesn't I don't know if he'll be able to come back he said there was something wrong with his steering so if you're a Jimmy fan hoping he can get another Daytona 500 win probably not going to happen Austin Dillon had some uh, problems it looks like uh, Kaz Gralla also going to the garage as well 
he looks like he's done for today, and it doesn't look good for Ryan Priest. So some names already taken out, and this might be a huge dent for Ford, who have been dominant on super speedways to have some the numbers taken out, especially with Toyota having more drivers in the field now. All right. Uh, we will keep you posted on Daytona 500 action throughout the course of the show. Uh, Smoke is you know, doing his show, doing his job with one eye on the TV over there. Uh, and we understand it, but we'll keep you we'll keep you abreast throughout the course of this show. 704-570-9610. We have been talking about a couple of things, uh, including Panthers free agency, what they're going to do this spring with free agency opening up not that long from now. Who should they be targeting? I got a lot of Calvin Ridley love on the text line today. Uh, AJ hit me up earlier in the show to say that. I think what he I'm going to go back to AJ's text because he sent me something interesting. He said, "I'd rather have Calvin Ridley." Regardless, I know he isn't insanely productive last year, or wasn't, but he still broke a 1,000. He's a stud. Was watching a podcast of NFL guys this past weekend, and they were naming their current top five wide receivers. And I don't know the guy's name, but one of them was raving about Ridley and his route running as the best that he's ever been around. I, I would not... Calvin Ridley here would not upset me. Smoke, I don't. I, you're, I think you're nodding over there in agreement. Calvin, you'd be happy about Calvin Ridley if they found a way to get him, yeah? Yeah, uh, I think the main concern because remember he he was a, it was a big talking point in 2018 when he was in the draft. It was like, do you want him or DJ Moore? Yep. Um, the main concern with Calvin was they went back to back, correct? I believe so. Yeah. Within three, it was either back to back or within three picks of each. Really time. close. Uh, so yeah, I think actually Hayden Hurst was the pick after that. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I think you're right about that, actually. Yeah. So, kind of like the Hornets, so it's a 2017 NBA draft. Uh, the Panthers seem to be going, if they would get Calvin, would be going after the 2018 NFL draft. But I, I I think I like it. I think he's a perfect, you know, short placeholder wide receiver number one, but long term, you want him as a wide receiver number two, three here. Just because the main concern coming out for him when he was drafted was his age, because he was already going to be like 25 in his rookie year. So now he's 29, going to be 30 this year. He already played one year in Jacksonville, and all things considered was good. He wasn't great, but he was really good. I think at the very least you're getting a guy who knows what he's doing and can get separation and get open even at his age now. And uh, you need as many of those players as you can, and I think it'll be coming at a somewhat of a discount compared to going after Michael Pittman or any of the other wide receivers. And I also think he's got he's more reliable than the Marquise Hollywood Brown as well. Yeah, somebody said he saw an article that said the Jags were going to tag him. Uh, they got bigger. They got bigger. I think Josh Allen's yeah. who they tag. Don't yeah, you? Josh Allen. Oh yeah. Well, Josh Allen's in the prime of his career, and he's one of their own. And he's also coming off a borderline career year. He had what 16, 17 sacks. Yeah. Yeah. He's, Seventeen and a half. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I, I tech Josh Allen. 66 tackles, 33 QB hits, 90 pressures, a pressure rate of 18.3%. He's one of the best pass rushers in the NFL. It's just he plays in Jacksonville, so it doesn't get as, enough, uh, as much of attention as some of the other edge rushers. No, no, I agree 100%. I mean, that's a guy. Look, the Jags use this franchise tag a lot. So I would imagine they're going to use it again. And if I had to bet, they're using it on Josh Allen. Now, I'm looking at a different piece over at CBS Sports, to, to your point, Texter, about you know each team's most likely tag candidate and i bet you can guess who carolina's is is it burn yes it's brian burns oh wow yeah it's brian burns um it says that uh, panthers need to work out a long-term deal with burns so the tag will buy them more time it says he's worth the 20.2 million coming off a season where he finished with 40 pressures eight sacks and an 11 percent pressure rate which by the way significantly off josh allen's numbers 
Uh, says Burns could be a significant bargain in a few years. He's worth using a significant amount of the $28.6 million in cap space the Panthers have available. Hey, here's the thing. We've talked about this. The, the franchise tag counts against the team's salary cap as soon as the designation is made. Doesn't matter whether a player is signed as franchise or as transition tender. Once signed... The franchise or the tender becomes a fully guaranteed one-year contract, meaning, of course, that the entirety of that is going to be the cap hit this year. So how do you, that? That's the question: Can you use the franchise tag on Brian Burns, which has long been been suspected, and still go find a wide receiver, and still go find some help at corner, and maybe look for an edge rusher? Now, look, not all of this is going to be accomplished in a significant way in one off season, but you got to do most of it. Now, we talked about it Friday. You can restructure Taylor Moten's contract. You probably should. They, they, they probably will. <laughs> They're probably in the midst of, of finalizing that. They've probably been working on that since like May. Um, they, you probably should find a way to do something with Dante Jackson's contract, right? If they're signing Frankie Louvu to a new deal, I would look for that to be, you know, pretty. It's not going to be a massive deal, but I'd look for it to be backloaded yeah. to continue making room. So I think they can find a way. That's why Brant Tillis is here, right, to work the cap voodoo magic that he worked in Kansas City. Um, so we'll have to let him get to work and, and see the fruits of his labor. But I do still wonder, can you find a way to get a deal done with Brian Burns to avoid using this? Because if you could find a way to get a deal done with Burns this offseason, right? Backload that thing, get in the guaranteed money that he wants, you know, in a deal that works for everybody. Well, then theoretically, hypothetically, you, you've got more cap space to work and do damage with this offseason. Yeah, it's it's just one of those things. What is he asking for? What's been to hold up? What's been the problem? Maybe the problem the whole time has actually been Scott Fitter or maybe Samir Suleiman. And now with new people, I know Dan Morgan's been in there, but he wasn't the one making the decisions. Now with more people being in there, that could change things up. I think uh, that could be, honestly, new I set eyes and ears on this discussion could be a big thing. But you're working pretty quickly here right now. These guys have only been there for, what, three, four weeks at the most? Yep. So you're moving extremely fast and you're trying to get everything done. At the same time, and you also have to worry about Frankie Louvo. At least with Derek Brown, you don't have to worry till next year, but you know that that's coming up very shortly as well. And hey, if uh, J.C. Horn performs well and stays healthy next year and does what he think we think he can do, I mean, that could be a massive conversation next year as well. So you got a lot of stuff on the defensive side of the ball that you're having to worry about specifically of contracts. Very well could be. We might get to some of this next, but we will definitely talk some ACC hoops with Joe Ovius of the Ovius and Julio podcast, Triangle Media Influencer. Joe Ovius back next. Sports Radio, 92.7 WFNZ.